Welcome back. This is Carl Stewart. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. Now coming up on our 29th anniversary, Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning where you always determine the agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. Also, if you'd like, you can listen online right now by going to newsradioklbj.com or you can go there at your convenience and download previous podcasts. And you can also go to the free app SoundCloud. And this Thursday, after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. It's always a great idea to call at the beginning of the hour or text. My rule is I take calls first and then texts. And any previous texts that I haven't fully answered, I don't have any previous texts that I haven't fully answered. So I've got a few topics to bloviate, but it'd be a lot more fun and I suspect more interesting if you were to call or text 512-836-0590. I've talked about bonds and about the attraction of bonds today when compared to where they were before the Federal Reserve started their interest rate increasing. I was looking at th- at several actively and passively managed bond funds in preparation for today's broadcast. So you can get pretty darn close to the Bloomberg Ag, which is kind of the S&P 500 of the taxable bond market, the investment grade taxable bond market, by owning the ETF. And of course, everyone knows I'm not making recommendations. You, The symbol is AGG, and its return for the year through yesterday is a minus one point one eight percent. That's not a terribly big surprise when you consider that rates have continued to go up and when interest rates rise, bond prices fall. And I believe the largest fund, certainly the largest passive fund, is Vanguard's BND. And that year to date is, uh, let's see, down 1.09%. And then I looked at three actively managed funds, and you can really tell the difference in what we call the yield curve. So I looked at a core bond fund. That's a, that's a Morningstar category core bond. And its total return was minus 0.71. And then I looked at a short-term bond fund, huge difference, return plus 4.72. How can that be? It can be because short-term rates are very high and have not moved significantly higher. Long while longer-term rates are high, they've moved higher this year, so hence the negative return. And just for fun, I looked at something called a multi-sector bond fund. This is a unique kind of active strategy where the manager has wide latitude wherever she wants to go that she thinks she sees value in the fixed income market. And one of the largest ones I, I looked at is up 2.6% on a year-to-date basis, 512 836-0590. Andrew, you're on the air. How may I help? Hey, Carl. Hi. Uh, I have a follow-up question from uh, a question last week uh, from another caller. Uh-huh. Uh, last week, a caller presented a scenario uh, involving taking their diversified portfolio and moving it all to 30-year treasuries and taking the interest. Yes, I remember yeah. that. Very very sound uh, rationale for why that probably wasn't a good idea. Thank you. And by the way, um, let me interrupt you, please. Garrett, I'm having a very hard time hearing Andrew. If there's anything you can do about boosting the volume. Okay, please continue, Andrew. Uh, yes. Yeah. So um, 
as I said, you gave a very sound reason for why that probably wasn't a good idea. Thank I'm you. just curious. Uh, additionally, assuming it was a taxable account, yes, would the varying forms of dividends, interest, and capital gains in a diversified portfolio yes. give you different tax characteristics over that 30 years compared to all the income being interest yeah, from the I bonds? Think the, the answer is yes, and the reason is the way I would do it if I had that 30-year, and this won't surprise you because you're a regular listener, is you're going to have a balanced portfolio, and unless you're in a super high ta- income tax bracket, the taxable bond is probably more attractive than the tax exempt. But you're going to have stock funds as well as bond funds and also some alternative funds. And each of those categories have different tax-type treatments. So to the extent, let's just start with equities. I'm a big fan of having a substantial portion of the equity allocation in passive exchange-traded funds, whether they're from Vanguard or Fidelity or whomever. They're extremely inexpensive, and they're very tax efficient. So you're only going to get, say you own the the State Street SPY, the S&P 500. The only taxable events there are going to be the dividends. So if the S&P has a dividend yield, all 500 companies divided by its price is 2%, well, you get a 2% yield. That's a taxable event. But it's not a significant taxable event. And then if you think about if you own, say, a commodity like a gold ETF, it's going to throw off some very modest, uh, just the way it's built, uh, modest income. Your bond funds are going to throw off taxable incomes, no question about that. But if you build that portfolio, and let's say that gentleman was talking about taking a 4% uh, yield or 4%, I will call in my example, a 4% withdrawal. If you take a 4% withdrawal, and because you want to sustain the asset allocation, because as you know, that's the single biggest determinant both of return and of risk, there are going to be some years, like in a bull market year for equities, where you're going to be selling some of your equity ETFs, for example, uh, to uh, get your distribution and to keep your uh, portfolio in a balanced uh, asset allocation. And when you do that, provided that you're this long-term investor that we both talk about, you're going to be selling those at at a very attractive long-term capital gains tax rates at 15% or perhaps 20% on the gain. So yes, to the extent that over time stocks rise, bonds deliver positive returns, but certainly lower returns than stocks. Over time, as you sell stock funds to meet some of your withdrawal requirements, they're going to be more tax efficient because you're going to come out at capital gains rates. So your thinking is correct in my view, Andrew. Great. Thanks as always, Carl. Okay, you bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. It's time for me to take a break. Perfect time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon until 5. If you have a question, now's a great time to call or text 512-836-0590. Marianne, you're on the air. How may I help? Hi, Carl. Hi. Uh, 
always uh, go to you for things I haven't figured out yet. And I've got one today. <laughs> well, you, you might need to broaden your your, your uh, number of people, but go ahead, please. <laughs> well, um, my daughter started uh, had five, a five twenty nine plan uh-huh. for yeah. each of her children, uh-huh. and her daughter and one of them didn't go and didn't need it anyway. It's, yeah. Um, her daughter, who is an adult now, yeah. is the beneficiary of the 529 plan, and mm-hmm. she does not need the money. She's done well, and, and, and it's not something she needs. So Good. my daughter uh, has some understanding or, or a question, certainly, that uh, perhaps this were—hopefully this is something you know about— that she can make herself— um, the beneficiary of that plan, yeah, and then gradually move it into her 401k. Do you okay. know any provision regarding so, that activity? I remember a long time ago reading when 529s first came out that one of their benefits was that there was a large number of people who could qualify as beneficiaries of 529 plans. So if you had three children in the second one didn't need it, you could give it to the first one, change the beneficiary to the first one or the third one. And I remember that even you could set up a 529 plan, and then at some later date, you decided you wanted to go, let's say, to graduate school, you could take the money out with the same tax-free benefits. Uh, So you can, I believe, have yourself as beneficiary. However, uh, there's no provision that, of which I'm aware that you can take money out of a 529 plan for non-educational purposes and put it into a 401k plan. Now, money is money. If she takes it out of the 529 plan for non-qualified purposes, that'll be subject to income tax and the penalties, my understanding. Now she has the money. She can put the money if it, and she's a quali- she's a qualified participant in a 401k plan. She can make a contribution subject to the rules of the plan uh, into the plan because she's working, so she can get a tax deduction. But there's no tax-free way to go from a 529 plan into a 401k. So that's my understanding. Well, I'm, I appreciate you uh, explaining yeah. that because yeah. it seemed to be. Too, yeah. Something hard to maybe no, dig into. Too good mind. to be too good to be true. There's no, there's money that goes into a 401k plan is by definition because it's a it's a defined contribution employer sponsored plan is to tax deductible to the employer and it may or may not be tax deductible depending on whether it's a Roth 401k or a or a pre tax 401k. But if you're you're putting in you're putting in money. You can't take it from a, a 529s. My understanding. Well, thank you, Carl, for that explanation. And then another question might sure. be: um, how how and where would you put away uh, over a period of time a small amount of money and uh, and have it have a beneficiary where you would change it from time to time as long as it's not. Uh, a part of a retirement plan or right, anything, right. you're free to do that. Right. Is that pretty yes. much correct? So when you open it, what let's just you let's let's call it a taxable account. So as we're comparing it to an IRA, Roth IRA, four hundred one k, four hundred three b, etc. So you can open a, a Marianne account, for example, or I can open a Carl account, 
and I can put money, you know, dribs and drabs. I know that you do a lot of thinking about investing. You could put it regularly into a no transaction custodian, into an exchange traded fund, for example, or or set it up with a fund company that doesn't have a sales charge and put it into an opened in 40 act fund. You could you could do that. But there's no beneficiary designation on non. Uh, retirement accounts. So what happens is that the beneficiary is set up by your will. So if you want to change the beneficiary, well, first of all, during your lifetime, you give it to whoever the heck you want, right? So you can. there's no beneficiary designation. The only time you're concerned about beneficiaries when it regards taxable investing is in your, is upon your death. Then you Then you want to identify who you want to get what uh, amount of money or what portfolio or whatever the case is. But during your lifetime, you would simply sell whatever was in there if you wanted and make it and, and, and give it to the individual. So that's the way that works. You'd, the the rule on the other side which, about 401ks, IRAs, et cetera, is you can't really, you're not supposed to have a an IRA, a Roth, a 401k, an SEP with a custodian without a beneficiary designation. When you open the account, you if you're married, the go-to default is a spouse, unless the spouse de- says it's okay if it's not me. And then there are secondary beneficiaries also, but there's no beneficiary designation on taxable accounts. Well, I appreciate you going over that. It's very clear. It sounds to me like very clear what you can do and not do in that case. Thank you, Carl. Okay, thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here is a text. Hi, Carl. I purchased 10-year U.S. notes. That's a 10-year U.S. Treasury note. And I do not need the income. The be- what is the best way to compound my return when I receive my coupon? So, in my view, because you're, because you're investing and in, you've invested in fixed income, bond, right? So, since you want to stay in the same situation, what I would do is I would reinvest in, in something I mentioned earlier, the Barclays Ag. In other words, that's that's an index that has a duration between six and seven. Uh, it's going to be similar to um, the U.S. Treasury, or you can look for an exchange-traded fund. Uh, and I don't follow all of them, uh, but you could look for an exchange-traded fund that buys treasuries. My recollection is that you you may have one that's got a one to five-year maturity, maybe a five to ten. So look for exchange-traded funds that uh, would match more or less the maturity of your 10-year note. Then you can take the coupon income and put it in there, uh, and that will be a way to compound it. And then that ETF will also earn interest in, but that one you can set up to reinvest the dividends. So in that way, you can you can take care of your desire to compound it. Good question. 512-836-0590. Here's the text. Are there good local or national all-in-one shops which provide services, advice services for tax planning, pre-Social Security filing, Medicare filing, fiduciary investing? If so, how about 
you or some recommendations. Wow. Um, you're going to have to take some time. This is a really important question. Um, there are some people uh, who offer comprehensive financial planning. Uh, and so uh, what you, you've got a very good idea of what you're looking for. Uh, and you can go to people's various websites or Google them or whatever, uh, and that's just a starting place. Uh, then I'd, start, I'd go with a phone call. And I'd speak to the professional. Since you're looking for fiduciary advice, this person has to work at a registered investment advisory firm. Uh, and then I'd have a conversation with her or him and ask the specific questions that you're asking. I know that there are people who specialize in helping people determine when to take Social Security and Medicare, but, I, but they're not people who offer fiduciary investing. Um, it's pure. It's obviously conceivable that that could happen, but it's been my experience that it's not very often that people who are in comprehensive financial planning necessarily do everything that you've asked for, but that's a reasonable way to get started. Thanks for the text. Well, we're running out of time in our first half hour, but it's a great time for you to call or text 512 512- 836-0590. Stay around for the second half of Money Talk. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon until 5. And when you have a financial or investment planning question, call or text 512-836-0590. Longtime listeners know that I'm not an operational genius, uh, and uh, thankfully we have some really terrific listeners who know a lot more about these things. So when I told Marianne about not having a beneficiary, uh, I was referring to the new account form when you open an account. But uh, our good listener, Ken, came up with some important information, and I'm just going to read his email. Okay, so let's just start here. Well, this designation, what he's talking about is transfer on death, TOD, okay? Beneficiary forms for non-retirement accounts. Several major funds and brokerage uh, houses do this. He sent me the documents. While this designation is not on the original account setup, application, and forms, these separate transfer on death or TOD forms can be completed at the same time as the original application for a non-retirement account. This designation on either a retirement or a non-retirement account bypasses and supersedes any will. Big deal. So if someone is setting up a testamentary trust in a will, what he means is upon your death, you want money to go into a trust for some beneficiary, testamentary trust. These forms on several accounts may result in the trust not having sufficient assets to fund it after the owner's death, thereby frustrating the decedent's intentions. So it's complicated, and I really appreciate Ken pointing that out that you can, when you open an account, you, you can actually also ask for a transfer on death document. Call or text 
836-0590. Here's one that says, Carl, you had a long thread several weeks ago, a couple of years ago, which you concluded you can have a beneficiary on a taxable account. You said, yep, I just went over that. So terrific. I'm glad to see that. Okay, 512-836-0590. Another text. Carl, the Fidelity website says the Secure Act 2.0 allows $35,000 to be rolled into a Roth IRA once it's in a lifetime, once in a lifetime beginning in 2024. It must have been owned by a beneficiary at least 15 years. This must be the question about the 529, Marianne. I vaguely remember reading that. It's really complicated, it, and that this person points out that it has to be owned by for 15 years, before, and you can roll it into a Roth IRA. So I really appreciate that. I, I have not fully studied or studied the Secure Act 2.0. It's complicated, at least the stuff I've learned. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I'm going to do a little reading here and bloviate until unless somebody calls or texts because I think this is important and I'm not sure everybody realizes that this is from Friday's uh, Wall Street Journal, Friday, October 13th. Starting in January, the average monthly Social Security check for retired workers will rise 3.2%, or $59, to $1,906, the Social Security Administration said Thursday. That is, that is a significantly smaller increase than the 8.7% raise retirees received this year, reflecting a cooling in inflation. Still, inflation remains elevated and price pressures persist, posing a challenge to Americans on fixed income. The cost of living adjustment, or COLA, helps Social Security benefits keep pace with inflation over time. The annual increase is based on a Labor Department measure of what Americans paid for everyday items from July through September compared with a year ago. Thursday's increase, quote, will probably feel disappointing to folks because the COLA was so high this year, end quote, said Bill Sweeney, Senior Vice President for Government Affairs at AARP. People are still feeling the sting of higher prices, he added. Examples include staples such as gasoline and groceries. Approximately 67 million retirees, that's a lot of people, and disabled people receive Social Security benefits. For many retirees, Social Security is the only source of income that adjusts for inflation. The annual COLA adjustment can make a big difference in making ends meet. There's more to this, but I have some text coming in, so what I'm going to do is uh, is go to those. 512-836-0590. Wayne, you're on the air. How may I help? Um, Carl, I'm a day trader, and I've I made some good money over the past two years, but uh, I ran into something uh, this year that's never happened. Uh, okay. I I bought a, a stock and um, about 10,000 shares, and it, it was like a $50 stock, and it started going down rapidly, um, and then I said, well, I better sell that uh, before it completely burns me out, and so I sold it about $10 a share, less than what I paid for it. 
Mm-hmm. And then later, I saw it start coming back up. Mm-hmm. And so I bought the same amount of shares again mm-hmm. uh, at the market price. Right. But then when they tallied everything on the right. Schwab account there, right. uh, they uh, they said I paid a lot more for the stock than I did, hmm. which uh, cut into my gains there. And I, I called them and asked them. They never gave me a, an explanation I could understand. So you're telling me that you purchased the stock, you have a transaction confirmation, and when they came to you, you don't have any, I'm thinking this through because I've never heard this happen, you don't have any electronic records showing your purchase price, the only record is what they say your purchase price was? No, it, uh, the actual transaction was listed and showed what I paid for. Good. But uh, in my portfolio, yes, it was about uh, $12 a, st- a share higher. Well, that's not right. Yeah. You got to raise now, heck with them. Yeah. Yeah. What, well, that's... I did. And this is what they said. It's kind of a thing the federal government sets up to keep you from dumping a lot of stocks you're losing on at the end of the year. Uh, and then buying them back up uh, in the new year, and therefore not having to pay the taxes on on anything there. Well, all I can think of right now is they're talking about the wash sale rule. You're probably are you familiar with that? No. Not okay. At all. okay. All right. So here's the, my understanding of the wash sale. Let's suppose that I own a stock and uh, at fifty dollars, and it's forty dollars and I sell it. If I stay, if I don't repurchase that stock within, I think it's either 30 or 31 days, I can take that loss as a loss against any other realized gains I've had during the taxable year, or I can take that loss, take $3,000 against ordinary income, and carry forward the loss into the future. But if if I take the loss and then turn around and buy it back, within that time period, then I cannot take that loss. That's the wash sale rule. But what I don't understand, because uh, I've never heard of this before, is they're claiming on your cost basis on your statement is a higher price than the price that you purchased it for. I, that's, I've never encountered that. That's a, if that's the yeah, law, I mean, if uh, it's quite expensive. When, oh my when goodness! I mean, if, if that's the law, I've never heard of that. I, I, now, frankly, I'm not a day trader, and I don't know day traders other than talking with you right now. And there may be some kind of a specialized rule that about which I'm unaware. But boy, I'd ask, you know, if they're gonna, if I'd like to ask, I guess what I would do, I'd start with the the customer service person with whom you were speaking. I'd ask them to send me an email explaining what they just said that's right so i can get something in print so i can study it if that if then studying it doesn't make any sense then you know go to google see what you can learn then because uh, it's possible that they made that they made a mistake schwab is not in the is not in the business of trying to harm their clients so they're not doing anything nefarious on purpose it could be a simple mistake or there may be some aspect of the uh, securities ta- and tax law that you and I have never encountered before. But get something in writing from Schwab so you can do some more homework. That's what I would do if I were in your shoes. Right. 
Yeah, and the explanation did mention you bought it, or I bought it back within 30 yes. days of yes. when I sold it. Yeah, that's the, yeah. So that, that yeah. may be that wash thing you're talking yes, about. Yes, that, that, that may be exactly what it is, but how that translates into giving you a higher cost basis is news to me. So, uh, Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it sure hurt, too, when I... It, and of course, it went up uh, even more than what I bought it for, and right. uh, then I sold it, and uh, I should have seen big gains, yes. but it was a loss because of. I just got a text. Yeah, well, I just got a text here. It says, "Carl, cost basis does go up with the wash sale rule since you can't take the loss." Well, there you have it. So somebody listening says that what they did uh, is accurate. Yeah. I hate I st- to hear that. Yeah, well, Steve, do your <laughs> keep doing your homework anyway, because I don't know, I don't know the answer. <laughs> okay. Well, 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 at least you explained it a lot better than that guy did. <laughs> okay. Good luck. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Carl. Now, you bet. Thanks for calling. We're going to get down, take a break here. We're down to our last thirteen minutes. If you've been thinking of calling or texting, you're running out of time. Five one two. Eight three six zero five ninety. I'm going to visit with Wayne when I return. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ five ninety AM and ninety nine point seven FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. When you have a financial or investment planning question, give me a call or text at 512-836-0590. Wayne, you're on the air. How may I help? Oh, I did. Okay, so I I did call Wayne, so I'm okay. Here we go. Okay, let's just then go to another text. Here we go. Oh, I got that. Carl, what would be wrong with substituting high-interest savings accounts for bonds in a mixed portfolio? Since the bond portion of the portfolio has a downside risk that the savings account would not have. Thanks for your show and your bloviation-free advice. You're welcome. (laughs) There's a really, really good reason. So when you look at what happens to high-interest savings accounts and what happens to bonds once interest rates, short-term interest rates peak, okay? And then you look at the following one, three, five years, it's just stunning because, of course, what occurs is as rates come back down, then the interest on your high-rate savings account come back down. And the bond market does just fantastic. I mean, it delivers in a shorter period of time, not over a longer period of time, stock market-like returns. I mean, really significant returns. And so that's the single best reason to do it. I mean, I have in front of me, I'm using now CD rates because that's what I've got, and other investment opportunities. Investment opportunities outside CDs. The peak six-month certificate of deposit rate during previous rate hiking cycles and the subsequent 12-month total returns. Okay, I've got this. It happened in 1984, 89, 94, 2000, 2006, and 2018. So let's just suppose you bought 
the Bloomberg Ag ETF. Now, you had a loss this year, and your point in your text is absolutely the case. But here's what the ag returned in, those, in all of those times. 1984, the next 12 months, 30%. 1989, 12%. 1994, 18%. 2000, 13%. 2006, 6 percent, and 2018, 9 percent. That's the reason, because bonds in your portfolio have two, it may have more than this, but at least two important roles. One, obviously, current income, but the other is the ability for total return. You cannot get that in a savings account or certificate of deposit. And over long periods of time, those total returns really matter. They matter the most in periods of falling interest rates. I was visiting with my colleague Lindsay recently, and I was saying that before the Federal Reserve started its current tightening policy, you would look at a bond fund, and if you didn't understand total return, you might make a mistake, but you would look and you say, wait a minute, the three-year return on this on an annualized basis is 8%. Well, it wasn't because it was 8% income or yield, it might have been 4%, but it was 4% of appreciation. So you have appreciation potential. You also have current income. And while last year was not the case and was pretty much an exception, you also have the potential for negative or non-correlation to equities. Thanks for the call. 512-836-0590. Let's see here. Okay. Here's one that says the caller should, oh, this is about the day trader. The caller should be happy about higher basis due to the wash sale rule. It means lower capital gains when he sells. Well, that would be, I guess, yes, you're absolutely right. Okay, here we go. Okay, let's see if there's anything else on here about that I haven't covered on my text today. I don't think so. Five, one, well, you know, we have six minutes left. If you've got a question, call or text. But I'm, if you don't, I'm going to finish reading this uh, because I think it's important about Social Security. From Friday's Wall Street Journal. Among Americans age 65 and older, 40% rely on Social Security for half or more of their income, according to an AARP analysis of recent government data. About 14% of recipients in that age group depend on their benefits for nearly all of their income, the analysis found. Social Security hasn't always kept up perfectly with inflation in recent years, due in part to the timing of the COLA calculation. In 2021, inflation was 7.8%, as measured by the December 2020 to December 2021 change, in the Consumer Price Index for urban wage earners and clerical workers. Social Security's 5.9% cost of living increase the next year did not fully compensate retirees for that surge because inflation continued to accelerate after the COLA was announced in the fall of 2021. The situation reversed, however, when inflation started to trend down, said Alicia Monelli, an economist and director of Boston College's Center for Retirement Research. This year's 8.7% increase more than compensated for the 6.3% inflation in 2022. 
When inflation is going up, you don't get enough from cola, she said. But as inflation stabilizes and starts going down, you get too much. Over the whole cycle, it equals out. Next year's estimated increase in, is slightly above the 3.6%, I beg your pardon, 2.6% average raise over the past two decades. Prices rose 3.7% in September from a year earlier. According to the Labor Department's broader measure of inflation, the Consumer Price Index. For many retirees, the annual COLA raise will be somewhat offset by higher premiums for Medicare Part B, which are typically deducted from benefits checks. Next year, the standard premium for Part B, which covers expenses including doctor's visits, is projected to rise by $9.90 to $174.80 a month, according to estimates Medicare's trustees released in March. The Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services said it would release the new Medicare Part B premium this fall. The Social Security Administration also said the maximum amount of earnings subject to the Social Security tax, which is 6.2%, I might add, will increase to $168,600 in 2024 from $160,200 this year. This year's outsize increase is the largest in four decades, according to the Social Security Administration. That raise helped hasten the date of the trust fund's potential insolvency by a year, according to Social Security's trustees, who predict that that will occur nine years from now in 2034. And if you are a regular listener, you know what I'm going to say next. I don't know how we solve the problem with Medicare or Medicaid because health care costs are simply out of control and we have a remarkably inefficient system. But the solution to the separate Social Security Trust is right there, and I just said it. If you make more than $168,600 next year, your Social Security tax on that amount above that is what? zippity doo zero. You could raise that, if you, el- you could eliminate it, but you could raise that over time and replenish the money in the Social Security Trust Fund. It's a straightforward situation. No Democrat. No Republican wants to do that. But if they formed a committee and said, you go off, ladies and gentlemen, and figure this out and come back and we will vote up or down without any debate, we could solve that issue in my view. Well, been a lot of fun this afternoon. Thank Garrett for doing his great job as always. And thank you for listening. Be sure and remember that next Saturday after the news at four, be sure and tune in to Money Talk. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 